Blessings, we are on week two of our sermon entitled Kintsugi, and I believe God is going to bless us by his word. And if you're here with us for the first time today, I just want to uh, just recap a little bit of some highlights of what we spoke about last Sunday. Uh, the theme of the series is Kintsugi, <clears throat> and throughout the course of the series, we're going to talk about how God can work his greatest work in the midst of brokenness and uh, uh, last week we talked about how brokenness is God's workshop for God to do his work in us but the truth about brokenness is that uh, brokenness is not something that's very uh, uh, pleasant when you're going through it uh, because of how brokenness happens brokenness for some of us brokenness is introduced and I mentioned this last Sunday brokenness is introduced to us in many ways such as deception such as through slander betrayal abandonment physical emotional and sexual abuse these are the ways or the types of avenues that brokenness introduce itself in our lives another thing i mentioned on uh, last sunday is that brokenness is not an attractive thing it's not something that people like to be around when you're going through brokenness people like to be around us when we are at our highest at our greatest moments when we are at the pinnacle of success but when once we start going through broken moments and circumstances that lead us to brokenness there tends to be an exit of people because people just for some reason don't like to be around brokenness and i gave the biblical narrative of jesus when he was in the mountain of transfiguration and in the mountain of transfiguration he was not alone the bible says that peter james and john went with jesus to the mountain of the transfiguration it was at the mountain of transfiguration that Peter had great suggestions to build three tents. It was in the mount of the transfiguration that Peter said, let's stay here. He had good suggestion in the mountain of power and glory. However, when it comes to the mountain or the Mount Calvary, Peter was nowhere to be found. James was nowhere to be found. Only John, two thirds stood with Jesus in the mountain of calvary because brokenness is not an attractive place to be in we also talked about this that the only way kintsugi takes its place now what is kintsugi kintsugi is uh, uh is a japanese art form where a kintsugi craftsman instead of discarding a vase or a vase that is broken and throw it away he sees the potential even in the broken pieces and what he does is with time and patience he glues the broken pieces back together but the element he uses to glue the pieces back together is melted gold and by virtue of this process called kintsugi the vase or the vase that had little value because of the time because of the patience because of the skill and the gold now this insignificant low value vase has a greater value because of the process it went through and so i want to let you know that in order for kintsugi to take its place in order for this art form to take its place something needs to be broken the, the, the gift of a kintsugi craftsman will not come to play if everything is in full form 
But when something breaks, when something is broken, when something goes through a breakdown process, that is when the Kintsugi craftsman walks in, not only with the capacity to pick it up, but with the capacity to make it bigger, better, and stronger. So we talked about that is not attractive. We mentioned Kentucky begins when breakdown happens. And we also talked about that the breakdowns of life will eventually benefit others. The breakdowns of life will benefit others. And so today, my assignment today, last week we talked about breakdown. Today we want to talk about breakthrough. Last Sunday we talked about breakdown the things that cause us to break the things that cause us to collapse the hurt the betrayal the the lie the slander the abuse the rejection the abandonment those things that cause us to break down but today God is going to challenge us to break through because it's not enough to just be in a broken down stage God did not call us to be broken down he is calling us to break through somebody say break through now in order to understand breakthrough, we have to understand how God works. Sometimes many people have a difficult time breaking through because of our perspective of God when it comes to how he performs a miracle in our lives. Many people have been broke. We've been broken down. We've been through breakdowns and we've been stuck broken down for years. Because it's hard for us to understand God's process in our lives as we break through from our breakdown. Now, in order to understand this, we have to understand two factors on how God performs miracles. And this is why many people are stuck in their breakdown because they only see God from one spectrum from one perspective so my assignment today is for you and I to be able to at least try to understand God from two aspects of what a miracle is miracle is the is the tool is the instrument that God uses to take us out of our breakdown it is a miracle that God uses to take us out when we fall it is a miracle that God uses to restore us from being broken to being complete but to understand how we can break through we need to understand how God's miracles work so today I want to talk about the difference between a supernatural miracle and a providential miracle I want you to write on the on, on, on the screen right supernatural miracle versus providential miracles supernatural miracle versus providential miracles what is a supernatural miracle let me explain what a supernatural miracle a supernatural miracle is when God interrupts the order of nature and intervenes in a divine way to bring something back to place that's a supernatural miracle when God takes something that happens in the natural order of things and God shows up and supernaturally he interrupts the order of life to do something to bring it back to place let me explain it is natural for man to be born to live and to die that is the natural order of things a man is born a person is born a person lives and a person dies however when Jesus heard that Lazarus was dead 
The Bible says that Jesus interrupted the order of the natural thing, which was if Lazarus was alive and Lazarus got sick and Lazarus died. That's the natural order of things. Yet Jesus shows up in the middle of the tomb of Lazarus and with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And when he declares Lazarus come forth, it didn't matter that for four days he was dead. It didn't matter that for four days his body was decayed. It didn't matter that for four days he, he began to stunk and stink. When the word of God came in the tomb where Lazarus was in, the Bible says that something supernatural happened and the normal order of things were distorted by a super powerful intervention from God in the life of Lazarus. So that's what a supernatural miracle is. When you're going through a process and God instantly interrupts the order of things. Not only do we see it in Lazarus, but we see it in Jesus' cousin, who was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And it's interesting that John the Baptist's perspective of Jesus, when it comes to miracles, was from a supernatural point of view. John's perspective of Jesus was exclusively supernatural. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter, chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, read it in your own time. The Bible says that during that time, John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, Elizabeth, and Jesus was in his mother's womb, who happens to be Mary. And by the way, Mary and Elizabeth were related and the Bible says check this out that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth they were both pregnant Elizabeth had John the Baptist Jesus was in Mary's womb and when the Bible says the Bible says that when they came together the baby who is unconscious he doesn't have the capacity to rationalize what's happening inside of the womb of his mother much more what's happening outside of the womb but the Bible says that when Jesus in Mary's womb came across John the Baptist in Elizabeth's room, the womb, the Bible says that John the Baptist began to leap and jump as if to say in his state of unconsciousness, he was aware of a divine being in front of him. And the Bible says he jumped out. He jumped in his mother's womb. Now imagine John the Baptist two years of old, two years age, of age, two years old. And Elizabeth, his mom is telling him, hey John, I know you don't remember this, but let me tell you something about your cousin Jesus. Your cousin Jesus is so miraculous and he's so powerful that one day when your auntie came to see me, you started jumping in my, in my womb because you perceived that Jesus who was in your auntie's womb was right in front of you. And you don't understand this, but something happened. You started jumping. You started having church in my womb. It was amazing. And from that moment, John the Baptist his perspective of Jesus, his cousin, was supernatural. Supernatural. He was like, oh my God, my cousin did that? Oh my God, my cousin is powerful. And you know what happened? Let's fast forward 30 years. At the age of 30, Jesus goes to his cousin to the Jordan River to be baptized in the water. Now, John's perspective of Jesus when it comes to miracle is exclusively supernatural. And when Jesus, the Bible says, comes to get baptized, three things happen. The Bible says that the heavens opened up supernatural. 
The Bible says that an angel came. The angel, the, the, the spirit of the Lord descended like a like a dove, like a like a bird. And John sees this supernatural. And number three, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So when John was a kid, supernatural. Now when John is an adult at the age of 30, his next encounter with his cousin was supernatural. And he hears God speak. And the angel and the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. And John the Baptist says, wow, this is supernatural. Let me fast forward a couple of months after this incident. A couple of months after this incident, something happened where John the Baptist is incarcerated. So I explained to you what a supernatural miracle is. Let me explain to you what a providential miracle is. A providential miracle is different from a supernatural miracle. And that God, when he operates a providential miracle, he does not interrupt the order of things, but he allows things to take its course. And in the process, he gets the glory in a divine way. He allows you and I to go through normal situations in life to occur in order to expose us to another dimension of his wonder working power. Now look at this story. John, up until this point, he hadn't known, he did not know Jesus from a providential miracle point of view. He knew Jesus from a supernatural point of view. I jumped in my mother's womb, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came down, God spoke, but now John is in prison. And he's locked up and he's about to die and he's about to be decapitated by Herod the king. And look what John the Baptist does. John the Baptist sends his servants in Matthew chapter 11, verses through two through six. Look what it says. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. When John was in prison and he heard the supernatural works of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, John. When you was a baby, you saw a supernatural miracle. When you baptized him, you said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You saw the heaven open, you saw the Holy Spirit come down, you heard the Father speak. How dare you ask now if Jesus is the one? He says, are you the one? Why would John say that? Because in John's mind, He's thinking, if he's Jesus, I shouldn't be in jail. If he's Jesus, he should make a miracle and some kind of way open the prison doors, take the swords and hang them on the wall. And he, he, he flies the city gates and he levitates John from prison and he puts him in the pinnacle of success. But this time, Jesus does not do anything supernatural. Because John only knows him from a supernatural perspective, he begins to operate in doubt. And he asks, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And listen to Jesus' reply to John in verse 4. Jesus replied and said to the servants, hey, go back and report to John what you hear and see. And look what he tells them. As if to say, the thing with John is that John doesn't know me as a providential miracle God. He only knows me as a supernatural God, miracle working God. So here, tell him I said this. Tell him I said, the blind receive sight. 
Why he's saying the blind receive sight? Because receiving sight is a supernatural miracle. He says the lame are walking. Why he says the lame are walking? Because for John, lame walking is a supernatural miracle. He says those that have leprosy are being cleansed. What is he saying? I am the same God that operates in a supernatural. He says the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are clean. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What is John what is Jesus telling John? He's telling the servants to tell John, tell John that everything he thinks I am from a supernatural, I'm still the same guy. I'm the same guy. I'm doing a supernatural miracle. I'm healing the sick. I'm healing the leper. I'm healing the blind. I'm healing the lame. I'm doing it supernaturally for them. But for you, John, in this moment, I'm not going to operate from a supernatural standpoint because I want you to see me as a providential supernatural God as well. And the thing with us is sometimes we only know God from a supernatural standpoint and God is saying I want to elevate you to another dimension of my wonder working power not supernaturally but providentially and this is why many people when we go through the breakdowns of life we stay broken down because we only want Jesus to do a miracle supernaturally we only want Jesus to operate in our lives from a supernatural perspective. But God is telling you today that he can also work in your life providentially, not changing the order of things. And in the middle of all of the processes you're going through, he can work all things together for the good of them that love the Lord to them who are called according to his purpose. This is why Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul says, look what he says. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know, check this out, the power of his resurrection. What is that? Supernatural. Because only a supernatural miracle can take somebody that died for three days and on the third day raised from the dead. Paul is saying, I want to know God from a supernatural perspective. He says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. But here's the other one. Here's the providential. And participation in his suffering becoming like him in his death so i ask you church how do you know the lord do you just know him as a supernatural god and when he doesn't operate supernaturally you get frustrated you don't want to serve the Lord. You leave the church. You get discouraged. When you start seeing God doing supernatural miracles in other people's lives and God start doing miracles in other people's bodies and God start doing miracles in other people's finances and you're still in your mess and you're still in your crisis, do you get depressed, discouraged, and tainted when you don't see nothing? Let me tell you something. The Bible says that for 12 years, the woman with the issue of blood was bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and Jesus would heal everybody instantly. Yet this woman, for the Bible says, she wasted all of her resources trying to get healed in the hands of the physicians and for 12 years she didn't give up for 12 years she saw other people get healed but there's something about this woman that while she was bleeding and while she was bleeding and while she was bleeding here's what I want to tell you she did not give up because she understood that God has the power to do supernatural miracles in others but she said all I need to do is be patient and give God time to work in my life and the greatest miracle that happened to her providentially was that for 12 years she was bleeding and she didn't die let me submit to you the body has anywhere from six to eight quarts of blood and can you imagine 
eight quarts of blood and for 12 years this woman has been bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and God didn't do a supernatural miracle God didn't heal her overnight but he was doing a providential miracle the more blood she drained the more blood God gave her the more blood she dripped the more blood God gave her and God gave her enough blood that lasted her 12 years and she was in pain but she was still alive and she was still bleeding and she was still alive and she was still hemorrhaging and she was still alive and this is why we need to understand God from a supernatural miracle and from a providential miracle we give God thanks when he does it overnight but can you give God thanks when he does it every single day you should have been broke but you're still here you should have lost your mind but you're still here you should have been in prison but you're still here you should have lost your mind and you're still here you are a walking providential miracle and this is why you need to understand that when you understand the power of his providence you can live life with the assurance that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord can somebody say amen in the house of the Lord understand this church supernatural miracle it's what everybody wants providential miracles is what God wants to grow us in so that we can break out from the break down let me tell you this church there are no shortcuts in great to greatness if you want to be great you're gonna to have to go through struggles there's no such thing as shortcuts to greatness I wish I could tell you that there are shortcuts to great to greatness I wish I could tell you just say three, these three words and hit your feet two times and like Dorothy I want to go home that doesn't happen that's not the gospel message the gospel message never said come to Jesus and God's going to supernaturally turn your life upside down and supernaturally you're going to love your husband like you never loved him before and supernaturally your children are not going to go back on drugs and supernaturally no 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 he never promised that here's what he said in John 16 he said in this world you will have trouble ain't that something right before Jesus goes back to heaven look what he tells him I'm out. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going back to heaven. I did my job. By the way, I'm leaving and y'all going to have trouble. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Because Jesus never promised that the kingdom, the gospel, is exemption of trouble. This is why many people are frustrated because we think that being a Christian and being a servant of God and living this gospel means you're going to live with halos on your head and you're going to live with wings in your back and you're going to live from glory to glory. Yeah, you will live from glory to glory, but every glory comes with a process and every glory comes with struggles. He says in this world you will have trouble, but then he says take heart or be of good cheer. Here's why. Because I'm a supernatural God, that's not what he says. He says, because I have overcome the world. He says, you can be victorious in your pain and in your sufferings. Because I went through pain and I went through sufferings and I overcame the world. Trouble, church. Trouble is an inevitable reality in the Christian walk. So if you came to Jesus expecting all pain and all struggle to leave, someone doesn't lie to you because afflictions are inevitable afflictions are inevitable but our hope is anchored in christ and in the fact that christ overcame for us and this is the false conception that many people have about christianity oftentimes people tend to classify 
Jesus as a person who did not express pain or sorrow. Let me tell you, the Bible says in Isaiah that Jesus was a man exper experienced in sorrow. Jesus was a man afflicted in pain. But sometimes when we look at Jesus, we only see him from a supernatural. He's flying to heaven. He's walking on water. He's, 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 he's doing miracles. But let me tell you, this same Jesus that walked on water is the same Jesus who went through pain and went through sorrow. And I say that to say what I wrote on my book, which is this statement. Your greatest message is preached in your worst moments. Your greatest message will be better preached in your moments of crisis. Jesus, shortly after he was baptized, I would say, shortly after he was baptized, the Bible says that his cousin John, going back to John, his cousin John was taken prisoner by Herod. And the Bible says that after he was taken prisoner by Herod, they decapitated, they killed him, they killed John the Baptist. And the Bible says that Jesus was brokenhearted because of the loss of his cousin now we're talking about Jesus who could have supernaturally risen John the Baptist from the dead but he didn't he could have supernaturally brought him back to life but he allowed himself to go through the process of providential process and he went through the process of mourning the process of crying to the point that Jesus was brokenhearted because of the loss of his cousin's death and this brokenness that Jesus had to, let me tell you, Jesus was broken. This brokenness that Je the Bible says Jesus cried the death of his cousin. And this brokenness led him to a place where he went to cry. But consequently, while he was out there to, to cry his morning of the morning of his cousin's death, while he went to cry in that place of brokenness was where he did one of the greatest miracles in his ministry. One of Jesus' greatest miracles happened in the moment of his brokenness. One of the greatest miracles of the multiplication of bread and fish happened while he was crying the death of his cousin. As he grieved, he noticed the multitudes that were famished, that were desiring to hear his, can you imagine the word of the people who were hungry to hear his words and he just wants to go and cry in a corner and cry the death of his cousin but there's a mass of people waiting to hear let me tell you something you must be careful what you speak and what you say around the people that are watching you in your moment of crisis Jesus could have had a pity party and 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 brought and brought pain and struggle and distortion to all of the masses but Jesus had the capacity to maneuver his feelings to manage his emotions to deal with his pain and when it came down to minister to people he began to minister the words of life he began to minister hope he began to minister restoration we must be careful that when we're going through our brokenness that we don't speak unwholesome talk we must be careful that while we're, we're going through brokenness that we're not speaking to destroy but we're speaking to build and this is why I told you that your great greatest message will be preached in your worst circumstance I'm here to tell you don't never let your problem dictate your message of hope to a world that is hungry to see God work through you but in the middle of your pain take it from the inside of your soul and from the belly of your heart bring up a word that can bring hope even in the midst of your brokenness his humanity wanted to isolate himself to cry while his divinity wanted to nourish the multitudes with the bread of life. 
listen to me church the best time to preach the gospel is in the middle of our brokenness unbelievers will better accept our message when we are able to relate with them Jesus my friend was able to give life in the midst of deadly circumstances in the midst of the people oppressing him he was able to exhibit compassion can you imagine that no one had compassion for Jesus that he was crying the death of his cousin nobody gave him a little pity party and their little funeral service nobody nobody but in the middle of his brokenness he had compassion while no one was being compassionate toward him while no one was saying my condolences he was giving hope listen to me church your breakthrough and my breakthrough can cause hope in the lives of others I can speak I, 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 I can speak Bible characters I can give you biblical examples but I want to give you my personal example the break the breakthroughs the breakdowns of life that I've had I can tell you how God has used the breakdown moments of my life to bring breakthrough in families and people one of the hardest moments of my life in the 30 plus years I've been serving the Lord and ministering and preaching this gospel was five years ago when we launched this church I went through a breakdown moment. I went through a breakdown moment, but because of my breakdown and my breakthrough, families were restored. It's crazy because while we started this church five years ago, I was broken, I was hurt, I was, I was, I was, I was jacked up emotionally. But I remember the word. Let me tell you, this is what you have to understand. It doesn't matter. Listen to me, listen to me. It doesn't matter how long a pastor preaches, it doesn't matter the longevity of a pastor, it doesn't matter the degrees he has on the wall. Every pastor will go through brokenness. Every Every Christian will go through pain and I can tell you this church I know what it is to stand up on a pulpit and speak hope to people while I'm broken Monday through Thursday I know what it is to stand up on a pulpit and lead others to Jesus while emotionally I'm hurt because people left and abandoned and forsaken us but I'm here to tell you because of my breakthrough they produced me to understand my breakthrough I didn't just live broken down and this is why in your breakdown you gotta go through your breakthrough you cannot let your breakdown keep you stuck on the floor you cannot let your breakdown keep you on a pity party but you now in your breakdown you need to understand the power of God through a supernatural and a providential miracle so that from your breakdown you can go to a breakthrough and while you're breaking through in the middle of your pain Others will come to Jesus let me tell you in the middle of my breakdown and my breakthrough look at what happened we planted a church and families who had left the church and people who had backslidden while well, we started pastoring the church again families started coming and families started coming and family were being restored and many people who have been hurt and broken in the past people who have backslidden because of the life of God operating in a broken heart like me the church began to grow and in a matter of a year we planted a church in Kissimmee we planted a church in Texas second year we planted a church in Pointiana third year we planted planted a church in Port Ritchie fourth year we planted a church in North Campus and all of this happened because while I went through my breakdown I gave God the glory and I asked him to show me what's his plan in my life and when I understood his plan for my life instead of speaking negative I spoke the promises of God and to the glory of God we're over 1,300 people because when you go through your breakdown and your breakthrough the best is yet to come somebody say amen
stand in the house of the Lord. So I want to encourage you today. You might be broken down, but you got to break through. But to break through, you must understand that God may not do a supernatural miracle. That God may take his time and put you and I through processes so that we can break through. You've been broken down. Now you have to break through. You have to break through. But understand this church. May God use whoever he wants for his glory. God uses whoever he pleases for his glory. God is not interested in, we, we, we love titles and positions. We love accolades and, and applause. God is not into none of that stuff. God is willing to use the most insignificant person to provide and make a supernatural and a providential miracle. Look at what happens in John chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Jesus is surrounded by the masses. And listen to what happened. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd followed Jesus because they saw the signs, supernatural, he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Ah, Jesus. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Look at the question. But how far will they go among so let me give you the backdrop to this story. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, the, the verses we just read in the gospel according to John tells us the story, but Matthew gives us a little bit more specific information. Not only did he mention there was a multitude, but Matthew's going to give a specific count. And in Matthew 14, 21, it says the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. In the times... Of the Bible women were not counted in the census in the times of the Bible children were not counted so that's when you see there was it says there was 5,000 men they would never count they wouldn't count the women they wouldn't count the kids because they were they were they weren't important but here's what's crazy about the story Jesus uses a nobody to feed everybody 
When they started counting how many people we have, they, no, 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 no the kids put them in, we're not, we're not counting the kids. The kids don't matter. The kids don't count. The kids aren't important. Let's count the adults, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the businessmen, the leaders, the ones with petitions, the ones with, with influence, the ones that, are, that know theology, the ones that know Greek, the ones that know Hebrew. And they started counting all of the men and they didn't count none of the kids. But what they didn't realize that the miracle that God was going to perform was not in the men that were counted. It was in a book that was ignored the one that didn't count now counts look at this Jesus took something that had no value Jesus took something that did not count and he found in this insignificant little boy something and he brought it back to do a miracle now what did this boy have what did this boy have? This boy had two dead fish. His fish were not alive. The Bible says that the fish were his lunch, meaning they were dead. He caught them, took them out of the water, and by virtue of taking out of the water, the fish were dead. Jesus took an insignificant unimportant boy and said I want to use you he took one that nobody wanted he took one that nobody counted he took one that people saw were insignificant and said I want to use you I'm here to tell you it don't matter who rejected you it don't matter who doesn't see you important it doesn't matter who says you don't qualify it doesn't matter you know how many people told me you don't qualify you ain't gonna do it you ain't gonna pass 300 people you ain't gonna do this you ain't gonna do you know how many people told me that but here's what I want to tell you that that's what people say but God's got something else God's got another message God's got another spirit. God can see what others see and he sees it through the eyes of faith. And while everybody rejected the boy, God says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to take your dead fish because I'm going to bring life through the dead things of your life so that the glory could be mine and not yours. Listen to me, church. He took dead fish. By the way, the fish's environment is water. Fish were made to live in the water. As a result, the fish experienced growth in the water. But the moment he was caught, the moment the fish was caught and trapped, the fish ceased to live. And he comes to Jesus, this unaccounted, insignificant boy, comes to Jesus with dead fish. With dead fish. And they saw this boy with his dead lunch and they overlooked him. They saw this boy with his dead meal and they overlooked him. How many times people overlook at you, overlook you because when they look at you, they don't see nothing. There was a boy in the crowd who was overlooked. He was not part of the 5,000 that was counted. No, he wasn't. The boy was considered useless. The boy was considered insignificant, yet in his hands was the provision to feed the thousands of people. He was dead to them. He was useless to them, but in his possession were the two fish and the five loaves of bread that Jesus would use to feed the masses. Church and friend, be careful to discard people because of how they look. Be careful to discard people because of their impression. Be careful to discard people because they smell fishy. Be careful to discard people. The elements with which Jesus would perform the miracle were in the hands of an unimportant person. The crowd disregarded the one who had the provision. And so God uses people that others don't count 
and find insignificant. And Paul will say it best when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 27, through and including 29. He says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. They were too busy paying attention to those that though were affluent. They were too busy paying attention to the Sadducees and the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and the people from the Sanhedrin that they realized they failed to ignore that this little boy had the miracle all along. So as I close church, I want to remind you that God wants to take us from breakdown to breakthrough. But how we break through or our breakthrough will be determined on our capacity of seeing God work in our lives supernaturally. And that's what we all like. But we have to ask God to show us the aspect of his miracle providentially. That we can say like the three Hebrew boys did to Nebuchadnezzar. They knew God supernaturally and they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to know that our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. You know what you call that? Supernatural perspective. But then they said, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow down. And what do you call that? Providential perspective. And you know what God decided? He, did, he decided not to intervene supernaturally. He decided to the, intervene providentially. And while they were in the fiery furnace, Jesus, God, showed up. The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years bleeding. God could have healed her instantly. She had to wait 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. So understand that your breakdown can turn into a breakthrough when you understand that your life is in God's hands and if God chooses to operate with you providentially then ask the Lord to give you the capacity to be able to say what Paul tells us in Philippians all things work together for the good of them that love him